Welcome to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Emily Heck, owner and marketing consultant at Evergreen Strategic Communications. Emily, thanks for taking the time today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I heard a little bit about your work just a little while ago, and we had a chance to talk uh, a ways back about this mutual passion we have for helping nonprofits do that communication better, especially around their email work and building connection with audiences. But before we get into some of the very specific things that I want to ask you about, could you just maybe give us a general overview of uh, your work at Evergreen Strategic Communication? What kind of work do you do there? Sure. So Evergreen Strategic Communications started in the fall of 2019. Um, I left my job in higher education and decided to go out on my own. And um, over the course of almost two years now, um, I've really drilled into wanting to work uh, primarily with nonprofits and what I call purpose-driven small businesses. I started my career um, and nonprofits. I worked for the Boy Scouts of America here in Indianapolis for several years before going into higher education. And um, it is an industry that I love. Um, I love nonprofits and the work they do and the impact they make on our community. And um, the fact that I can own my own business, uh, my own consulting business, and still give back to my community through nonprofits is um, has been very fulfilling for me. Outstanding. And as you look back on that work of connecting with people over charities like the Scouts and other places you've been, um, I think it's interesting to take this moment and think about email as our still primary tool that a lot of, you know, the flashy stuff that's out there, hey, are you doing TikTok uh, is lovely. But um, when we look at the effectiveness of actually connecting with a supporter that wants to be part of this mission, uh, email is still, I think, uh, the top of the game in terms of of, uh, things that demonstrate a real result. Uh, As you talk to people about their communications needs and their overall portfolio of how they do things, uh, are people still thinking about that uh, at the top of their list of how do you help me or are they coming in for other services and maybe you have to help educate them about where email still is. Right. So it's really interesting. Um, a lot of the nonprofits that I work with, um, we are still in print mailing campaigns, if, oh. if you can believe that. Um, and I am introducing them to the world of um, digital, digital fundraising or just digital brand awareness um, through email, through social media. And incorporating that, I had um, a nonprofit that I worked with at the end of 2021 on their end of year solicitation, and they had never incorporated email as as part of that campaign, um, and certainly not social media. And so, I think for the larger nonprofits, um, you know, large regional or even national nonprofits, email is definitely a thing that um, they have incorporated many years ago. But some of the mid-sized to smaller nonprofits. They may dabble in email a little bit, but it's still something that's very new to them. Wow, that's interesting to learn about in 2022 that there's still a fair amount of spending on the print campaign, which, again, there are ways that that can bring resources to the table. And I don't want to uh, dismiss print out of hand. Uh, I actually did do a podcast episode some time back. I'll try to think if I can link that in the show notes about the value of print still in the 22nd or 2022 year, um, that that there's a place for that. Uh, But as we look at the overall tools and dollars versus effectiveness, thing, 
print and especially print that's delivered through the postal service is pretty expensive as a tool versus some of these other pieces to get in. And, and maybe, uh, although I'd be interested in your opinion on this, you know, not as easy to get access to addresses that are current and correct versus the ability to try to solicit people to give you email connection. Um, how, do, how do you see people building new relationships? Are they still trying to connect in with the postal address or is it just that they're kind of stuck in legacy from we've already had these <laughs> postal addresses so we still use them? Absolutely. I agree with you that print definitely still has a place. I, I'm definitely a, a big advocate for multi, multi-channel campaigns and using all the tools that you have in your toolbox. Uh, but it, you're right, digital and email it, it does have a place as well. And a lot of what I find is people are, you know, just going back to their database of um, those addresses that they've always had or continue to collect through, you know, a variety of mediums, whether it be, you know, directly through a development officer or, you know, maybe through a campaign, you know, a pledge card um, at an event or something like that. And so um, not so much as, as purchasing addresses. I haven't seen that in quite, quite a bit of time. Um, but what I'm finding a lot with emails and in collecting emails and how do we get those emails is a lot of them are coming in through online giving days and giving mm. Tuesdays. Sure. Um, and you know, those small donations that are, you know, five, 10, $20 that people are giving during giving Tuesday or, or just a general online giving day for your organization. They're obviously giving their email address because they're making an online donation. Um, they're telling you I'm interested in your organization enough that I want to support it. You know, even at $5 a, at a time, it's still skin in the game, if you will. Um, and so that is where I've seen a lot of email addresses, um, come in because it, you know, it's not like they're going to an event and they're signing in at the check-in table and giving their email address or whatever. Um, it's mostly coming in through those digital and online, uh, donations. And and this is where we really connected earlier uh, about the difference between sort of pummeling people with marketing messages the second you get an address to do that with versus how are we going to build a relationship with this person over time about our shared value? And if we don't have a shared value, of course, and and they've given for some other reason, how do we uncover that and understand what's going on and what motivates them? and Why are they here? But I think there's a, a natural instinct to say, great, we got that $5 donor that uh, came in on that giving day. That's wonderful. Uh, Let's sign them up for these 63 different marketing messages that don't talk at all about how they came in or what their experience was and just assume they know who we are. They know what the value is that we bring. And now we're asking them to move on to this other step. So I I think there's that error that happens sometimes with um, assuming that any access to email is the same access to a, a, a relationship. And as you talk to potential clients and, and folks that you're working with, how do you help them see through the, the challenges of building a relationship with folks around a mission? Right. And, you know, your, your comment made me start to think about the objectives between a development department and a marketing department. Um, a development department is trying to raise dollars. So they're going to use those email addresses and maybe they are going to pummel people, like you said, with messages of give, give, give. Mm. Whereas the marketing department is more about brand awareness and storytelling. 
and can start to walk people through what we call a customer journey or a donor journey to learn about that organization um, and to build um, build trust with that organization. And so I think what I talk a lot with nonprofits is marketing and development can't live in their two separate silos. They have to, you have to bring them together. They have to talk to each other. Um, Both can aid each other. Both can benefit each other. um, And we can get to the finish line together of raising dollars and raising long-term donors, not just, you know, one and done donors Mm -hmm. um, through a variety, variety of means. And so I think to your point, the conversation always starts with, let's bring development and marketing together and uh, work together on creating this digital strategy to, as you said, start to build a relationship through those digital channels, through email. What could be the donor journey? What does that look like? Is it a series of emails where we're introducing someone to the organization before we make that other ask Um, rather than, you know, on November 1st, we're going to our database and dusting off that list for our end of the year solicitation. You know, what can we be doing the rest of the year? You know, around Giving Tuesday, we just pull that list from the database and we just send them, you know, six emails throughout that day. And so uh, that's a, a that's really the conversation I start to have with clients. Uh, let's see what marketing can bring to the table. Let's see what development can bring to the table um, and work together to to reach that common goal. So you mentioned things like a, a welcoming series of emails. And mm-hmm. I, I think this is if you, you know, a lot of folks in the nonprofit sector, maybe start out with that MailChimp free 2000 <laughs> um, thing yeah. starter. Um, and, you know, MailChimp is trying to get you to use their tools in ways that express more value and have you stick around with them longer and all the rest of it. And I think they've been pushing people to really start thinking about some of those ideas through even those tools. There are, of course, a wide range of things that a, that a charity could pick up that helps people um, customize and think through, but also automate a little bit that work because it's not like you've got uh, a lot of probably anyway, a lot of time and energy to hire loads and loads of staff to just send individual messages out to every single person that comes through. So (laughs) where do you strike the balance on thinking about that welcoming journey and automating the process, but still making it personal and connective? Right. So you brought up MailChimp and I love MailChimp as a platform. It was built for small businesses, which it could also translate into nonprofits. So Mm -hmm. it is set up for ease and simplicity, whereas some of the bigger platforms are not really set up for small businesses. They're set up for major corporations. So it's interesting that you bring up MailChimp because I'm usually advocating for MailChimp with my nonprofits and small businesses. And you know, before we even get to the welcome series or automated emails or anything like that, I really want to take a step back and mm-hmm. say, what did, what data are we collecting about these individuals? Uh, MailChimp makes this very easy and, and really any CRM does of, you know, what information can we, can we learn about um, our audience members so that we can market to them, message to them better. You know, if you are a multi-service line nonprofit, is there a question on your donation sheet of, um, or your donation form of what are you interested in? Are you interested Mm -hmm. in animals? Are you interested in, um, children's services? Are you interested in hunger and food or, you know, what are the areas that you're interested in? And then that allows you 
to drill down on that messaging, drill down on that content and talk to those individuals who are interested in that pillar of your organization, uh, more personalized and more customized. So these tools can allow you to do that of collecting the right data um, so that you can be more personalized in your communications. And it, it, you have to take a step back first and figure out what data do we need to collect um, and then set that up, which in a lot of times as nonprofits, you mentioned it. I mean, it could be a one person doing everything, you know, right. it, the executive director is fundraising and marketing and HR and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the list goes on. And so it, it can be difficult, but if you start from the beginning and get those processes set, you can really be able to personalize your emails and your messaging and automate all of it. And then with that, once you get those emails going, you can start to look at engagement and how are they reacting? What messages are they reacting to the most? Where are they clicking? What are they opening? Um, and so, yeah, it's about finding a good uh, platform that works um, for what you need and then setting it up correctly. So it's giving you the right data, giving you the right information. Yeah. So that's a really good point. Let's back up a little bit and talk about the onboarding process, because I think that there's a natural tension between uh, making it as easy as possible for people to begin a relationship while asking them to volunteer as much as makes sense for them to do. Because sometimes I get to the third page of a form and then I'm just done. You know, if you've got, (laughs) you know, you're asking too much for me right now. I just wanted to make my $20 donation and leave. And um, so there's got to be a balance in there of where are we starting this versus, you know, when do we come back to you and ask to learn more and and engage more once we know there's some value there and you're connected. Um, And that's a tough one that I talk through with clients because I do think it varies a little bit depending on the organization, the mission and all the rest of it. I don't think there's one perfect solution to that. But uh, as you think about, you know, what are you requiring them to complete? What are you giving them an option to complete? And what does it look like? Um, Let's go back to MailChimp right now. Most other platforms will have the same thing. You can set up uh, logic gate sequences where, you know, if that person says yes or no to a question, then the subsequent things appear in the form. But if they mm-hmm. skip it, it doesn't slow them down. So that that moment you talk about of really thinking, what are we asking for at the beginning of this thing? And then giving them the chance to complete what they're willing to complete is good, but then you have to be the ones to decide, you know, and that's, this can be hard. What are we going to ask right away? If if it's the first relationship, if it's the first thing through. So uh, how do you begin thinking through that? You know, I'd like to know everything there is to know about you versus (laughs) I need to respect that probably if you don't yet have a relationship with us, you maybe don't want to spend that much time trying to begin to connect. Right. I think every nonprofit client that I've had, and even when I was working full-time for organizations, there was a conversation at some point about decreasing the size of the pledge card. I think every nonprofit has probably had that, the written pledge card. And that translates as well into the email and digital format. And what I like to, the perspective that I like to take on it is what's the information that an individual is excited to give us. What's the pride point? So, you know, if you're a nonprofit that has several service lines, you know, you're 
this is a bad example, but you serve animals, you serve youth, you serve, um, hunger initiatives, whatever, you know, what, what is that? What information can you glean from that? Someone would be really excited about, of okay. I'm really excited about helping animals in my community. Um, and, and then people will give that you that information because they're proud, um, and they're excited for it. But if you're asking very basic mundane, why do I have to give you this information? Then yeah, I agree. You're people are getting to the third page of the form and they're clicking off. And so it's about simplicity of making sure people aren't spending a lot of time filling out that form, especially if it's a giving form that you're using on a, on a giving day or giving Tuesday, Mm -hmm. you want it to be a quick and easy uh, process, but also ask those questions that people are really excited about. I mean, if you have uh, an area of need in your community that you're really passionate about, then you're going to share that with that nonprofit of, I'm really passionate about helping animals in my community. And this is the type of information that I want from you. Um, And so it's just really determining what that information is and then adding that to your form. And recognizing that this is not the only bite at that apple. And I think that there is a, um, uh, if we can get a a beginning relationship started with somebody where they're like, yep, I'm, I I believe enough in what I've read and understand so far that I'm willing to throw in that first 50 bucks, or I'm willing to sign up for the email newsletter or whatever that first thing is where we're starting the relationship. Then it does become, you know, we've asked these things to begin with. And I love how you phrase that. You know, what are they excited to tell us about this relationship? relationship so far. Um, and it is probably something that we're both excited about, which part of our mission brought you here today? What, what was that thing? Um, but then eventually we can get to that idea of how are we going to start getting a little deeper in that, that we can go back and just ask about them. It doesn't have to be us telling only about us, um, that we get that chance to say, We'd like to know a little bit more about you. We can send you something in postal mail if you'd be willing to give us an address. And again, there are times when that postal mail thing makes sense. So now do we ask for the address later if we didn't get it up front for whatever reason? Those those things that can be done over time are important to go back and think of how often are we doing that. So as you think through things like a welcome series, Mm-hmm. Is that the time to begin asking them more uh, information about themselves? Or is that still kind of the, we got to establish our value with you. So we're not going to quite ask for more out of you yet. How do you see that? Um, I think it depends on what type of information you can offer in that email series. Um, some, some clients or organizations it may be hard to come up with something for a welcome series, a true welcome series. And so, yeah, let's, let's take that opportunity and try to find out more about that individual and why they're interested in our mission and why they're interested in our organization. Um, but I think the welcome series is great. It's, it, it provides a lot of value, but I, I think one-off emails is, are also okay. I I've received, um, emails of, you know, tell us what your preferences are. And I loved it because it was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. They are interested in what, um, what I want to read about. And I clicked on the button and it pulled up a list of the types of content they provide. And I selected, I basically built my profile of what they would be sending me. Um, and I've heard a lot, um, 
I've heard a lot of higher education institutions doing this for their alumni of what type of communications do you want from us? Do you want athletics? Do you want your college? Do you want um, specific student organizations that you may have been involved in during your time at school? So um, I, I don't think it necessarily has to be kept just in a welcome series. I think you can do it, you know, one-off and um, it, it is about finding balance between asking too much um, of that person, but then also only making it about yourselves and just pushing information um, to that individual. And so really it's all about balance. And and a lot of times with my nonprofits um, that I talk to and I work with, it's um, analysis paralysis and they it's more of, they talk themselves out of it rather than doing it. And I say, let's try it. Let's do it. And in this news cycle, 24 hour, um, news cycle where, you know, something an hour ago, hour ago is considered old news. No, one's going to remember if you, if you messed up and if you do mess up, say, yep, we messed up and move on and say, we'll do better next time. And so I say, let's, let's do it. Let's just go for it. You know, maybe it's a welcome series. Maybe it's a one-off email asking people what they want to hear, hear from us about, but that's my biggest thing is don't get stuck in the analysis paralysis and just, just try something. So let's unpack the idea of a welcome series, though, for the times when that might be uh-huh. the right thing to do. I, I hear you that uh, don't be afraid of uh, not having to make everything planned out for the next seven months and all the rest of it. <laughs> and you can you can begin at a beginning, and that makes sense. But if if you do think about something, you know, and maybe use the exciting the example of scouting because it's something a lot of people have familiarity with. Um, mm-hmm. That if you know what scouting is, and you get your first connection with somebody. How would you envision uh, building a, a, a welcome message or a series of messages to deepen that relationship um, in that particular case? And I'm not asking you to, uh, you know, um, reveal any trade secrets here. So if there's, uh, you know, things that you're not supposed to talk about, pick another example. But but I think there are some that have never really considered that built-in tool to the Mailchimpy type things of the world that says when you get a new subscriber let's time some ways of engaging them uh, over a series of things rather than trying to do it all at once. And if that's true, what might that look like? What kinds of things might you consider in welcoming somebody in and learning more about them? Sure. So I, um, I, this one's so hard because you can get so creative with welcome series and, and I love creating welcome series because Um, you really have an opportunity to start sharing your story. But the one thing that I always caution with welcome series is, is you got to have some type of call to action. We can't just be peppering emails, um, to people. And then, you know, the, the series ends and well, that's it. We, we don't have any next step after that. And so you've got to really think about this as your, as your donor journey of, you know, maybe we do a three-month series with a, with an email sequence over those three months. Well, what's the next step after that email series? Is the development officer going to pick up the phone and call that individual and start to build a relationship that way? Because um, I, I mean, as the marketer, I can create beautiful emails all day long, but if there's this cliff at the end where these people mm-hmm. fall off, then y- you've lost them. And so um, when creating an email series, keep it online, take it offline, use your development staff to um, make those connections as well. But what I like to do also with email series is 
bring them through each part of the organization and give them an opportunity to engage uh, with that. So, you know, with scouting, for example, I would have had an overview email about what scouting is. I would have had um, something about the um, Cub Scouts and Boy Scouting. I'd have had an email about venturing. I'd have had an email about summer camps. I would have had an email about their career development program, exploring, um, really diving into those areas of the organization because that I achieved two things with that. I can see what the click-through rates and the engagement is on those emails. So if people are dropping off after the summer camp email and they're not engaging after that, then I know summer camp is a really popular thing and they, they've kind of checked out after that. Mm. Um, and then I can also see, okay, if there's more engagement on summer camp, then our donors are really loving summer camp. And so when we have an event coming up, we're going to do a summer camp focus. I'm going to tell that development officer, you really need to talk to this donor about summer camp. They see that's what they're engaging with on the emails. Um, we're going to do, uh, maybe we invite them out to summer camp to, to tour the, the facility and see the kids um, enjoying camp. And so, um, and, but then it also gives me a lot of real estate to talk about that one pillar of our mission and of our organization. So I'm not trying to cram the entire organization into one email, but it gives me a lot of space to really tell that story about Cub Scouting or tell that story about exploring or venturing or summer camp or whatever. Um, and so then the, the reader doesn't feel like, like, wow, this is way too much. Like, stop, right. this is so much information. And they're allowed to kind of learn about that. Uh, organization in bite-sized form. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense for assuming that most people are coming in not having as much connection. Um, but right. that is one of those things that you really do get the chance to make decisions early on and when you're asking them about their um, relationship with you is, you know, if if you're just new to our particular scout council and you've been a, you know, huge volunteer and you, you know, all, all these things, let us know, um, you know, these, this is kind of where we're coming from. I, I want to know more or no, I feel really pretty comfortable about this. And this is how I want my relationship with you to run can help gate that decision about do they get this next series or have they sort of opted out of it early if they've already kind of self-identified like, no, I'm, I, that's not why I'm here. So if you try right. to bring me along that journey, I might leave early. Um, and that's a tough thing to gauge that you just assume like, well, this is our first contact. Therefore you don't know much about us is not right. necessarily the case. And we don't want to assume that. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And especially with an organization like the Boy Scouts that it's very well known. Um, and so it is about kind of determining what their level of knowledge, I guess, is about the organization. Because if you have someone that's come that's coming in and knows a lot about your organization, you may not know that they may have been watching your organization from a distance and, and from the sidelines, but they're very familiar with the organization that's a perfect time to start talking to them about volunteering and actually getting them involved 
It doesn't have to be an ask. It doesn't right. have to be, you know, asking for money, but if they are very well informed and knowledgeable about your organization, how can we engage them other ways? Can we ask them to volunteer? Can we ask them to do, to, to serve on a committee? Maybe, I don't know. Um, whereas someone who maybe they just saw your giving Tuesday post and they were really moved by that video and they're like, eh, I'll give them 10 bucks. Well, then we need to send them through a welcome series that's more about educational and raising awareness. Right. Or again, giving them the opportunity to choose that so that they yes. know that, um, right, I, I don't know a lot about your programs, you know, good nonprofit or social good organization, whatever you may be. Um, yeah. And I, I, I do want to know more before I make decisions about whether I want to volunteer time or um, serve as a community advocate to bring more people in to hear more about what's going on and the impact you're having. There's all kinds of choices there. Um, but I do think it is interesting to think about how we structure those initial um, connections, whether it's a donor form or an email sign up or whatever to learn something. But then once we've learned a little, how do we help them gate their own experience a little? Because I, I think we started this conversation with the idea of we're not trying to force people who don't believe in your work to come around to your way of thinking. You know, we're not going to pummel the average ordinary person on the street into becoming a uh, ardent supporter. You know, that kind of work isn't generally how social good organizations go. We want to identify people who believe in the same general goals that we're setting. They may not know why we use our tactics to get to those goals yet, why our strategy is one that maybe they should learn about. But we assume the people we're bringing in at least agree with us that you know helping young people be the best that they can be through this process is something we have in common. And if you don't, okay, thanks for the one-time donation or whatever the inquiry was. And now we need to have our uh, communications portion be a little bit smarter to know these folks only want to hear the annual report once a year, or they only want right. whatever. And we should let them turn down the spigot a little if that's who they are. But that's, I think, a, a question that we have to learn from them by asking uh, a little. Mm -hmm. And and I think we can keep more people engaged and away from just unsubscribing completely if if we don't give them the options. Um, when you think right. about the, the measuring those options, how do you think through like, oh, yeah, we're asking too much and people are <laughs> leaving too early versus, you know, we could turn this up a little bit and really increase engagement and people seem hungry for it. And we've been too cautious because we're afraid that people are over emailed and, and, you know, that analysis paralysis thing you were talking about earlier could be part of that. Uh, so how do you think through measuring how are we doing with this? Do we need to turn it up a little or do we need to cut it back a little? Right. So it, it, it always, it, everything always comes back to data. I yeah. think, um, not only collecting the right data and then actually using the data that you collect, because I know a lot of people I'm actually guilty of this as well. You collect great data and then you actually never really use it to its fullest extent. Mm. And so uh, for me, it's, you know, it's not turning on a welcome series and walking away from it. Um, really looking at the data and how things are performing, um, pulling out individuals within those email campaigns and looking to see how they are engaging with the welcome series throughout, um, throughout that time. And so it's, it, it takes some time to really analyze that and figure out, you know, where are the holes, where are people dropping off? Where are people, what are people not clicking on? We know what they are clicking on, but what are they not clicking on? What are they not interested in? Um, and if it's something that's really important to our organization, 
it is a, an initiative that we are trying to push. Why are they, you know, we need to dive deeper and maybe do some research and why are people, why is this topic not resonating with our audiences? Um, and so that email data and your audience data can tell you a lot. And, um, it's not turn on the faucet and walk away. Um, it, it has to be looking at it weekly, if not multiple times a week to see how things are performing. Um, and then I also like to have, um, as the marketing professional, I like to have really open conversations with the development staff of what are you hearing on the street? You know, you're sitting in Hmm. front of, in front of donors day in and day out. What are they telling you? What are they, uh, what are they really happy about with the organization? What are they not happy about, um, how things are going? Are they telling you like, Hey, I, I saw that email this week. That looked great. Or, um, you know, things like that. And so, um, your staff who, who are out on the streets meeting with your donors, uh, granted they're meeting with donors who are more engaged. Otherwise they wouldn't be spending right. time with them, but, uh, they are a wealth of knowledge, um, that you can really use in your marketing to, to get a good, a good sense of what's going on and figure out what path you need to go down to, to dig a little deeper into your, uh, data. So I want to turn for just a moment from some of the things we've been talking about here to other types of communication and really thinking about the personalization opportunities that are available in this day and age as we're doing this work, that even the tools, the free version of MailChimp kind of thing, allow you to um, bring in merged fields to talk about an ex- uh, a relationship with somebody that it it could be, you know, hey, dear Steve, thanks so much for that $10 donation on, on March 15th. That was a really helpful, you know, connection for us and we're really glad to meet you as opposed to, you know, dear neighbor, thanks for supporting our work kind of messaging that every time we, we learn something more about those people, it's possible to use that data to customize something where automation can do some of the heavy lifting. As you point out, Emily, I think it's certainly a fine idea. If you have thousands of staff people to make very personal phone calls, (laughs) go do that, you know, really connect with people, go meet with coffee. But since most of us don't have that, and we do want to be in connection, using the ability to recognize what they've already given about themselves in a further conversation, whether it's a welcome series or it's a next ask, or even just something about a program announcement um, that connects to them with something, even if it's just merging their name into the document, because that's maybe the first part of that. But I think giving people something that doesn't feel like I'm just reading a form letter can be helpful in building a relationship and encouraging them to then give us more feedback about what's useful there. Uh, so as you think about the tools to do these things, uh, you know, most larger scale customer relationship management systems have got the ability to do that kind of thing, but it does take a little thinking. Uh, <laughs> how, how long along the process do you go before you start thinking about really customizing merged data into messaging? Right. So it really has to start at the beginning because you have to be collecting that data from the beginning. Um, I have one nonprofit right now that our email database does not include first and last name. It only includes emails. And I have no way to say, dear Emily or dear Steve, Mm -hmm. I just, you know, it has to be dear neighbor. And we're trying to figure out a, 
we're trying to figure out the path of least resistance on how do we get collect this information so that we can start to do this. So from the beginning, you need to be collecting that information so that, you know, a year down, 18 months down the road, when you're wanting to send that, you know, personalized, you know, thank you for X, Y, Z, um, you can. And so that's why I'm always preaching data first, data first. Um, to further that, I think dynamic content is the best thing that has ever happened to email for the marketing professional. Um, and for those who may not know, dynamic content allows you to create an email, but change out sections of that email automatically based on the information that um, the individual has given you. So you build one email and then there's a section that says, based on how this person's data field is um, and how they've respond, they will get a certain piece of content. So if we're using the scouts as an example, you know, if they said, I'm interested in summer camp, um, they would get that uh, piece of information. But maybe my thing, I said, I'm interested in the exploring uh, program. So my email would show exploring information. And Steve, maybe yours is, I'm interested in volunteering. And so, mm-hmm. you know, then the email would show for, for you as volunteering. And so uh, you've got to collect that data on the, on the early side, but you know, the, the marketer, the, whoever is creating those emails within that nonprofit is creating one email um, and it saves time. It's automated and you just hit send and it goes and it does the work for you. And you're not creating, you know, dividing email lists and creating five different emails that um, say all the same thing, except for one paragraph of that email. And so um, yeah, there, dynamic content has totally made life easier right. for, uh, for the marketing professional or, or whoever in the organization is, is building those emails. And so, um, that, that is, it, it, and it's hard sometimes for people to understand the long game of why, you know, why we're collecting this data now, but it makes life so much easier, um, in, in, in the long run. Yeah, well, right. I I think that 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 long run, that long play, are you hoping to be around in five years to really have a a better (laughs) series of relationships? And five years, of course, is a made up number. It it doesn't actually need to take that long to do, but it does have to think through um, how do we um, build enough information about the relationship with this person. And it doesn't necessarily only need to be a data point of, you know, you gave on a date. It could be, you know, you attended an event. Uh, you asked for a piece of information from our website. You, Whatever the thing that we know about our relationship that connects us, that we can personalize that message, I think is a really important part of building that relationship over time with that idea of eventually what is that call to action. And, you know, one of my favorite ones these days isn't so much please give again, because I feel like sometimes that's a, a a fast way to end a relationship if they've been asked a lot and they've given a lot and we ask again. And um, I, I get concerned about that, but it could be 
you know, is there one other person that you think would value learning more about this? Would you help us uh-huh. meet them? That kind of call yes. to action where um, what you're doing is bringing them in as an ally in developing new relationships rather than you have to shoulder this burden alone, please write another large check, but rather, you know, can you help us meet more people that also think and believe the way you do that share this value with who we are? And I think that's um, a real important opportunity to think about what is that call to action look like and how long does it take to get there? I mean, as you think about asking people to participate in those ways, uh, what what might be a, a time frame of um, thinking about different ways people can participate in your mission if you're going to build up over time a relationship? Right. I you know I love that that thought of you know if you love our mission who can who else can we share this with who who can you talk to about this with on a on a leadership level you're already doing kind of that nominating committee style of bringing it for board members. So why would we do that for all of our donors um, and all of our volunteers or, or, or people, our supporters of, you know, is there a call to action of, if you love this organiz- organiz- organization as much as we do, who can you share it with? Um, and so I think that's a I think that's a great call to action. I love that. I'm actually going to steal that and use that for my next nonprofit (laughs) campaign. (laughs) This is, of course, why we're having this conversation so that other people can hear some other ideas like, yeah, we we really need to give people that opportunity of how else can they add value other than, you know, the volunteering, which can be hard for some folks or making the contribution. But there's these things like I may not be able to do more myself for all sorts of very legitimate reasons. But if, if you've connected with me, I probably have connections with other people that are like me. Let's, let's talk Mm -hmm. about that. Let's explore that. Um, And we are just about out of time in, in wrapping this idea of how we use these tools to really build relationships over time. So as we're getting ready to, to close for today, are there any final thoughts you want to make sure you get a chance to add in Emily before we have to end? Yeah, I just, the, the one conversation that I have a lot is, is don't get stuck in analysis paralysis. That is, that is my biggest recommendation of, um, you know, I have a lot of conversations of, you know, what will the board think? What will this top donor think? What will, um, what will the executive director think, you know, talking with the development staff or the marketing staff? And it's, let's try it. We need to try something. Um, the, the longer you do nothing, the more you're getting left behind. Um, and other organizations are moving quicker and um, their awareness is, is increasing. So that's my biggest recommendation is there, it doesn't hurt to try um, and you might see some great results from it. Outstanding thinking. And uh, Emily, I'm just really grateful you took the time to join me today and and talk through these ideas. I think that um, it's so easy sometimes to just take a moment and go, well, you know, I I can send out a monthly email newsletter and and that's (laughs) what I got time for and, and realize how much we're kind of leaving on the table in really connecting with an audience from a little more effort on our part, but um, a lot more value for everyone. So uh, thank you again for taking that time. Uh, Emily Heck is the owner and marketing consultant at Evergreen Strategic Communication. Emily, thanks so much. Thank you so much, Steve. I really enjoyed myself.